Fueled by the Outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. Brought to you by the Elite Outdoors. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. What's up, guys? And today we're joined by State of Ohio Wildlife Officer Chris Gilkey of Meigs County, Ohio. Hey, man. What's going on, Chris and Rick? Not a whole lot. Glad you could sit down and join us tonight. Um, this is a, a big one for us because we, we've been talking to you for probably about two weeks now and getting in here and starting this podcast and We've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. <laughs> Hopefully we get it, get to it all. If we don't, that's okay because uh, I'm sure uh, you'll be back on here at some point because uh, there's always questions for wildlife officers. It doesn't matter what state they're from, but I'm, I'm pumped. I'm super pumped for this one. Um, yeah, you guys know how pumped I am. <laughs> I've, I've uh, expressed yeah. it a few times. So, so I got I to get, get you straightened out here for a second. So you, you pronounced it Meigs County, and it's, it's Meigs County. So Meigs County, I'll, okay. Meigs I'm, County, yeah, yeah. I've been <laughs> in Kentucky too long. Yeah, Just when I get the phone, when I get the phone calls from New York, people want to come down here and hunt, I hear Meigs. So we got we to gotta get you straightened out there. <laughs> Meigs County, Ohio. There we That's go. Is right. that right? All right. That's right. Well, uh, Chris, uh, Officer Gilkey, I'd, I'd like uh, for you to kind of – Give us a little bit of background about yourself, your uh, start in the outdoors, and how that led to you in the uh, wildlife field, if you would. Yeah, um, so for me, I'm one of those lucky ones. You know, you meet a lot of people that are dreamers, um, you know, who who are lucky enough to know what they want to do at an early age, and I was one of those guys. Um, man, I mean, from... From six, I can remember six years old. Some of you, uh, some of you people out there from the '80s might remember a magazine named uh, Ranger Rick, and uh, <laughs> yep. I used to I used to get Ranger Rick magazine, and uh, I was just I was infatuated with you know the outdoors and you know everything from bugs and butterflies to deer to, to whatever. I just I was the kid that would come home and my mom would you know go to wash my jeans and she would find night crawlers in the pockets and <laughs> and and stuff like that. So. So for me, it goes, it runs really deep. Um, so when I was a kid, uh, my uncle was, was big into hunting. Uh, he did everything, you know, from fishing to turtle trapping to, to you name it, turkey hunt. Um, my uncle Joe Gilkey was a, was a huge, huge influence on me. And uh, so it, it started with that, and, it, and I was raised by my stepdad. Um, so I was one of those kids um, who, you know, grew up you know, for lack of better words, you know, I, I didn't have a father figure in my life. And my stepdad came in at a really young age. And between him and my uncle, I mean, they just, they never said no to me. So when it comes to hunting and fishing, if I wanted to go, they were like, come on. So at a young age, you know, my, 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 who I refer to him as my dad, my dad and, and my uncle Joe, just um, give me every opportunity. I could possibly ever want to hunt and fish. And I could remember as a kid sitting on the, the front porch and my uncle lived down the road and he would call with his turkey call in the spring, getting warmed up. And I would try to mimic him sitting on the other side. And uh, so, you know, for me, it runs really deep. I just had a, a great love for the outdoors, you know, grew up on the Ohio river here in Meigs County, uh, you know, catfishing and, and hitting farm ponds every chance I got. Mm -hmm. uh, running beagle dogs as a kid you know we had beagle dogs that I was I would come home from school and um, it was literally out the door with a BB gun and um, you know running my rabbit dogs or, or getting into something Fit, flipping rocks for crawdads I mean it for me it's been a it's been ingrained with me from the beginning it's not something that you know at age 20 I decided I wanted to try so you weren't I an always adult, had a adult onset guy yeah yeah exactly so I um I you know many. I had this passion for the outdoors loved everything about it and I also had a desire uh, my stepdad was was in the military so I had a real strong um, upbringing when it come to things like that so I had this strong desire to work in either law enforcement or you know to go into the military and um, I ended up going to Hawking College where I got my associate's degree in fish and wildlife management and then I applied for the first officer academy and actually made it all the way to the interview. I think I was 20. I hadn't even turned 21 yet. And I didn't make it. 
um, which is, is not uncommon. You know, we only, we only take 15, 16 people out of 900,000 or, you know, more applicants. Right. Um, I got lucky enough at that point to get on as a seasonal with the Division of Wildlife at Woodbury Wildlife Area. Um, I lived in Muskingum County and worked in Coshocton at Woodbury Wildlife Area Range for a while. And then um, a couple years later, the academy opened up again in 2004. And I applied and I went through the interview, the written exam, you know, everything it took, the polygraphs, the psychological, everything you can mm -hmm. imagine. And, and was very fortunate enough to be named one of 16 cadets in 2005. So went to the academy for six months. And, um, and you know, the, that was 15 years ago. It's, uh, That's it's crazy. crazy. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's crazy to look back, but yeah. So for me, you know, just, I was at atypical kid who loved the outdoors and could not think of any better job than to have, you know, kind of have your cake and eat it too. You know, I got to be in the law enforcement side of things, but I got to be protecting a resource that I grew up absolutely in love with. Um, and so, you know, I am that kid who at six years old said, I, you know, I want to, I want to play for the Reds one day. I want to, I want to be a first baseman. Well, you know, for me, this, that's the opportunity that I have. Um, so I'm, I'm living a dream guys for real. That's awesome. That's, that's, a, that's such a cool story. And I, I don't think that a lot of, um, people when, when they, when they look at a wildlife officer, they might not necessarily see that like that there's, you know, there's a reason that you, you choose that field. And normally it's because you have a deep want to be in the outdoors and it's, it's something that you love and want to protect um, and, you know, give your all to, and, you know, that, that's one, thank you for being, uh, being that way and being such a good wildlife officer to begin with. Um, but also being a great steward for conservation and, you know, everything since you've, since you've been younger. Yeah, I, I appreciate that guys. And I'm sure, you know, knowing you two and seeing what you put out, you guys, you guys share that same passion that I share. Um, you know, there, there's, there's no doubt about it. I've, I've been following you guys. Um, I've been going through the comments and stuff like that. <laughs> and there, there's no doubt about it. If, if you guys ever wanted to come this direction and, and, uh, you know, you, you guys would have what it takes for sure. We appreciate that. Appreciate that a lot. Appreciate that. It's also, uh, you know, I don't want to say that it's nice to hear this, but it's nice to not be alone because I actually was taught by my uncle how to hunt because I grew up without my biological father as well and was raised by a stepdad. So it's kind of nice to meet other people that are uh, come up like, you know, my boy Rick here has the greatest father anybody could ever wish for. Does he know your dad? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. So you, you know exactly what that guy's my hero. And I'm like, please, we just be my dad. So, um, you know, it, it is nice to see people that, um, you know, grow up without that, that guy that make it and don't, don't just do okay or good, but, you know, flourish like yourself. Well, and I think Chris, it's also important. I mean, you think about you and I, and we were fortunate enough to, you know, to gain, to get somebody in our lives, you know, to, to lead us down that path, you know, yeah, think, think about how many kids that are out there who may not have the same, you know, be fortunate as up as fortunate as we are to have somebody come in our lives to introduce us to the sport. I agree. So you know, for, for those, for those listening out there, I mean, that's a challenge, you know, find, find that kid who doesn't have that person. Um, and, 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 and be that person. Uh, yeah. it's, you know, and I, I promise you that that'll be more rewarding than, than anything you could possibly do. Absolutely. I guarantee, I guarantee it. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, 14, 15 years ago, like, I mean, that, that, that's when, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to think about that. I think I graduated high, high school in 2003 and now, and now it's, I'm like, Oh geez, this is, this is, uh, taking me down memory lane in my head. But, um, so you go to that and you, you, you go into officer school, you become a wildlife officer, but there's another thing that you do currently, um, that I feel is such a, cool thing that ODNR wildlife are doing. And, uh, you know, it's one of the main reasons we wanted to have you on the show is to talk more about this because it's such a cool program that you, I mean, I'll, I'll let you explain it. I, I'm just, I'm kind of dumbing it down for myself at this point. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, that's fine. I, when you first reached out, you know, you had reached out about, um, you know, the fact that I was a canine handler and talking about our, our canine program that we started in 2018. Um, man, I, I can't say enough uh, good things about, you know, the program that we, that I was able to be a part of. I was fortunate enough to be one of the, one of a few guys at the beginning who kind of came up with the idea and, and uh, was able to see it come to life. Um, you know, it, it was developed out of a, a few officers that, you know, wanted to see it and did a lot of research and, and together, you know, we put together a package and, um, and was able, you know, it, it took a while, like anything, you know, any new program, there's a lot of hoops to jump through, but eventually, you know, the division decided to move forward with our program mm -hmm. and we were fortunate enough. So now we have five wildlife canines and, wow. uh, yeah, I mean, so you've got one in each district of the state. I'm, I'm down here in Southeast but you've got one in central, southwest, northeast, northwest. So you, you've got a canine in, in, uh, in all the districts. And it's so neat. And this program, um, we've had a lot of success with it. Just the PR impact of it alone. Uh, my PR contacts, public relations contacts with people and individuals, I would say they've, they've doubled or tripled. Wow. Wow. Um, I mean, when people see these dogs, it, it just, it's like a, it's like a moth to a flame. I mean, people, <laughs> people that, people that normally would not walk up to me and give me the time of the day because they don't have any interest in hunting and fishing because that's not what they do. Mm -hmm. They see canine on the car and they walk up and be like, so you're wildlife and you have a dog, like they, they want to ask questions. Yeah. And, and, you know, as soon as that happens, you know, we seize that opportunity, you know, to spread our message, what we do, why we do it and why it's important. Um, it, it, it's super important. And it's another tool that I feel helps, helps in so many ways. Um, you know, I'll, I'll let you go into everything that you guys do uh, with your, with your canines, but you know, everything that I've read up on, I just, I'm amazed at like all the different usages of, of, of them, like within the field. Man, it's, it's such an incredible tool. And what's neat about this program when we developed it, I mean, I'm going to throw out some names here and you guys immediately are just going to be like, yes, yes, yes. I know them people, you know, the national wild turkey federation, mm -hmm. pheasants forever, mm -hmm. Buckeye big buck club, safari yeah. club international and Southwest Ohio chapter white tails unlimited. Yep. Those conservation groups, um, alone made up for $45,000, or more. They, the sportsman's clubs donated that to get this program up and going to purchase the dogs, to purchase the equipment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the cost that the division of wildlife had, had out of this was minimal. And, um, then we had sponsors like Petland. If you're familiar with Petland, mm -hmm. they're an Ohio based company out of Till Coffee. Um, we don't pay for any of our dogs food. Like they stepped up and all of our dogs are supplied dog food because, you know, we're, we have canines and yeah. Petland does that not only, not only for us, but they do it for any of the canine uh, teams in your local cities and counties and stuff. Oh, but, well, I was um, completely unaware of that. Yeah. I mean, it's something that, you know, Madison's dog food is, is about a hundred $180 for 50 pounds. Ooh, wow. And he eats or <laughs> he, yeah, everybody always asks, he eats origin six fish and that's, some of the most, you know, finest dog food you can get. And they were the ones who recommended that we put him on it and didn't even bat an eye at that. So all those conservation groups that came together, you know, this program is just as much theirs as it is ours. Um, you know, they, they supported it. I mean, Whitetails White Unlimited was a $25,000 sponsor to us. Holy cow. Wow. So, you know, when you, when you go to these banquets and, you know, when you spend this money, people oftentimes, you know, like, where's it go? And, I mean, anybody, I know you guys are big turkey hunters, mm -hmm. you know, look, when I first started with the Division of Wildlife, I was trapping turkeys to transport them to parts of Ohio that didn't have them. Really? Yeah. I mean, we, we would, we would rocket net them. We would shoot a rocket net over top of them and we would capture them and we would leg band them and we would put them in cardboard boxes and we would ship them to Northwest Ohio um, and where they would be released. And now you have turkey hunting in 88 counties. Just, I mean, talk about the partnerships between, and, and, and this is, you know, every state out there partners with these groups like NWTF and Pheasant mm -hmm. Forever. But, but for us, you know, getting back to the canine, the, the support that we had from those guys was just incredible. It allowed us to put five canines in the field 
you know, we have three labs, um, or no, I'm sorry, we have two labs and three German shepherds. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, I'll go over a little bit of what, what they're trained to do. Um, they're trained in uh, deer, turkey, waterfowl, ginseng, fish, uh, and gunpowder. They're also trained to find articles, which means if you were to touch something with your human hand, um, let's say a bottle or a can and, and discard it or a set of car keys, the dogs can actually go out and search and they'll find that fresh human odor where your hands touched it. And we use that a lot. The gunpowder we've used a lot. Of course, you know, you can imagine all the odors, people hiding ginseng on us. Yep. Uh, so the German shepherds, the three shepherds, they're also trained in handler protection. You know, as a wildlife officer, statistically is the most dangerous form of law enforcement in the country. Wow. You're, you're several more. Yeah, you're several more like times likely to be assaulted or hurt as a wildlife officer in the field than any other form of law enforcement. It and so... Sense. So uh, us guys that are in, you know, a lot of the rural areas, you know, a couple of us that, um, you know, we all work alone, but we have, we have um, dogs that are trained in handler protection and apprehension work. Mm -hmm. um, makes a huge difference. Un unfortunately, in our career nowadays, you know, it's not all fish and wildlife violations we deal with. I mean, we're, we're running, running into a lot of, you know, a lot of drugs and things like that, that, you know, I didn't really see 15 years ago as much. Um, well, I, I was, I was going to ask a little bit about that because, you know, you, I forget the name of the book. It's called like the secret war or something like that that just came out recently. And it's about, um, wildlife officers out in California, um, <laughs> wildlife officers out in California, um, busting huge, uh, marijuana grows in, on national forest land. And, you know, this is stuff that you didn't see you know, like you said, 10, 15 years ago, but you're running into, you know, just consequentially the drug issues of today uh, out in the field along with, um, you know, wildlife violations now. And it, it's, you know, you know, I've, you know, my dad, um, you know, yeah. he, he's, he's talked about this stuff before and how it's, it's just become more prevalent in the field. Absolutely. We, we run into way more of this. Um, you know, it's the other day I, I found uh, some some pieces of we'll call them drug paraphernalia that would have been used for shooting up and it would have been heroin or meth, the pieces that I found. And it was out in a remote area, you know, where the public should be. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, it's sad because I just looked at it and, you know, picked it up and took it someplace that so could be disposed of. But I didn't even blink at it. I mean, it's become, it's, it's become so, um, so common now, you know, with the opiate uh, pandemic and that that's flowing over into a lot of our, you know, the areas that we patrol, you know, people are going out, people want to be away from people, you know, in the remote areas. And, and that's where we do our job. So it, it's really nice too. at the same time, you know, we, our main focus is wildlife law enforcement, but you know, anytime we're able to help the local sheriff's office, as far as helping them, you know, um, get some of these drug dealers off the streets, you know, inadvertently we run into it. I mean, you know, we're, we're certified police officers, so we handle that stuff as it comes about. Um, and it, it, it's sad and, but it, the job's changed. It has become more routine. Uh, 15 years ago in our evidence lockers, you might see a couple bags of marijuana and, you know, now you're finding hypodermic needles and meth and, and things that, um, you didn't find before and that that's that's just being real with you guys i'm not gonna yeah. pretend like it's not there because because that's exactly what we see but you know and, and it's not our sportsmen you know 90 percent of the sportsmen out there that we're dealing with are good people you know we're not we're not having issues with with our you know our sportsmen there's the small percentage you know that make the newspapers um but as a majority you know our our sportsmen are good people um Unfortunately, we're running into the people that aren't sportsmen that are out there doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And it has, it has become a, um, increasingly, uh, you know, more that we're seeing it. And, and also it, 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 layer, it, it adds another layer of, um, you know, awareness to you when you're out working. So. Absolutely. And, and I'm, gl I'm glad you, you made the statement because it's too often. And Chris, I don't know if you hear this. I know that, you know, in circles, I mean, as far back as high school, you guys are certified police officers. 
And too often, um, I went to school in, in Moorhead, Kentucky. Um, we had at least, I want to say, five or six different law enforcement uh, people who would, who would roll through town because you had, you had uh, DNR, you had Department of Forestry, you had Sheriff, all, all, all these different individuals. And I, you would always hear when you're like out at Cave Run or out in Daniel Boone, um, that's a wildlife officer. It, that, that does like, it, and I remember verbatim, that's a wildlife officer that doesn't count. I'm, I look at him like, I don't know where the hell you grew up at, but um, they're officers. And, you know, it's, it's to be taken seriously by everybody. So I'm, I'm real happy you said that. Yeah. I mean, and that, you know, that's just, you know, education, you know, some people don't understand, you know, how our jurisdiction works. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it varies from state to state. And even in Ohio, you know, it, it varies here, but, um, you know, especially on the, on the felony drugs and any, anything of that nature. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing our jobs. I mean, we, we are police officers. We, we take the same oath that anybody else takes. And like I said, you know, jurisdiction does, you know, vary and change. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, our primary goal is, is to make people safe, you know, whether they're hunting or fishing or, or whatever the fact, I mean, we're, we're there to protect and serve. And, um, if it comes down to it and if it's not wildlife related and we have to handle it, then that's what we do. Good deal. Good deal. All right. So, I mean, we've covered, you know, wildlife officer, we've covered, uh, canines, um, I wanted to ask, well, Chris, one of the questions that you had asked earlier is about like defining moments. So I want, yeah, I want yeah. you to take I that actually one. I was going to kind of run with what he just left off with. Um, let's talk about your jurisdiction a little bit. Uh, I myself don't know as well. I've, I've had very few run-ins at all with any wildlife officers. Um, and I, I've not been fortunate enough to have this experience other than talking to Rich, but I try not to pester him because I'm pestering him <laughs> with how can I catch a striper or something. So that said, um, let's talk about your jurisdiction. Uh, a lot of people have this stigma, first off, that um, you know a game warden basically wants to ruin your life if he catches you doing anything wrong and, and whether you know it or not. You know, So let's talk about um, let's say, let's say Rick and I have screwed up in, um, what, what's a good scenario? Uh, let's say, okay, so we're hunting in Kentucky the other day and those birds were really close together. Mm-hmm. I was kind of freaking out a little bit. <laughs> um, we're 15 yards away. Let's say Rick shoots two turkeys. We're in Ohio, not, not Kentucky and you roll up or we let, let's say, you know, because this is what would happen. Let's say we call Chris Gilkey and say, Hey man, we screwed up. We shot two birds. It was an accident. Uh, you know, what do we do and how are you going to go about handling something like that? And, and let's say versus if you catch somebody trying to hide it. Okay. So, the first thing I'm going to throw out is, is a disclaimer because there's something that we call um, discretion. Sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, so all of us officers work in different counties. We've all had different experiences in our career. Mm-hmm. Um, so we all have the discretion to write a ticket, not write a ticket. Um, and all of these scenarios that we come across, there is no black and white scenario. Sure. Correct. Um, it, it, it's, it's never black and white. There's so many gray areas. And, and the, the sad part is, is a lot of people only hear a piece of the story. And, and, you know, I always ask them, but if you hear a rumor, you know, come to your, come to your County officer and ask him because he's not going to lie to you. He's going to tell you the truth. When I used to go to sportsman's club meetings, um, I would get up in front and I'd be like, anybody, anybody got any rumors from deer season that we do this great <laughs> <laughs> And every once in a while, somebody would raise their hand and be like, we heard that so-and-so got a ticket for not having a pencil. And that's, that's a funny one because, no, he, he didn't get a ticket for not having a pencil. He, he got a ticket for you know, not filling out his deer tag or he got a ticket for not having you know, a deer tag. So back to your scenario. So the disclaimer, we all have a lot of discretion. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm telling you, you know, this, this is 
how I would handle that scenario here in Meigs County, but that doesn't mean that's how that scenario would play out in another county because you got to remember that as an officer, we also have to go back and refer to the county prosecutor. Right. So not only, you know, are there times when, um, you know, I can make a decision in the field, but there's a lot of times when I have to take that case to the county prosecutor and the county prosecutor makes that decision. Okay. So there's a lot of different factors involved there, but I'm going to tell you, you know, I was one of the guys I was reading through comments on Facebook. Yep. And uh, <laughs> yep. one of the guys, one of the guys, um, uh, Carl, Nathan you're welcome Hoskins, world. <laughs> he said, uh, well, he said that he wanted some answers that weren't PG answers. You know, he wanted, he, did, he didn't want, um, he basically said he didn't want a scripted answer. You know, he wanted exactly what we're thinking. So, you know, my intent is to, is to be that way with you guys. So let's go to this scenario. Okay. So scenario a, we're going to say that um, we're going to say it. Rick makes a, he makes a poor choice and kills two birds with one shot. Mm -hmm. okay? Scenario a, he makes the, the poor choice. And, you know, and I've had this happen. He, he, he cut, let's say he cuts the breast out of it, removes the spurs and the beard, throws it in his pouch and walks on back to the truck. Um, and that, you know, nowadays, especially with our canines, you want to talk about, um, you know, our dogs are trained on turkey blood meat. I mean, I, I wish I had this dog years ago in a, a couple scenarios, but um, <laughs> so, so that guy right there, that guy right there, there's no doubt, you know, in, in my mind, if it's my county and, and he made that decision to breast that bird out and to keep the spurs, that guy right there is, is we're going to, we're going to give him a summons. Um, of course, you know, like I said, that'd be a scenario that, you know, we refer to the county prosecutor, but that's a scenario that I would, I'd definitely see, you know, charges coming forth. Okay. okay. What, if, um, what if, what if he didn't keep the beard and spurs or fan, but he just breasted it out? out of, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to use the term respect, but, um, out of not wanting the animal to go to waste, we'll say. Yeah. And, and we run into that. Um, I'm going to tell you in that scenario, um, that scenario, the way that I view it in my eyes and the way that, you know, with my discretion, how I would handle that, the right, I'm going to tell you what the right answer is and any, anything, but, but this answer is the wrong answer. The right, <laughs> The right answer is to pick up the phone, make the call and say, Officer Gilkey, you know, I just wanted to call and tell you I was hunting this morning. I called in two birds. I took the shot and I dropped them both. And and what do I need to do to make this right? Okay. Now, okay. If, if you're in a county and that officer and that prosecutor in that county decide, you know what? This is you, you made a bad decision. You you didn't wait till the bird separate or, or whatever reason may be, and, and you just and you decide to get charged. That looks a lot better than the guy who cut the breast out of it and snuck it home, or you know, the guy who um who went and had his wife buy a tag and try to tag it in to make it. <laughs> yep. So in that situation, and I've dealt with it before, you know, somebody who kills two birds with one shot, the best thing, honesty is always the best i know you know i've seen that um as one of the questions somebody asked you know what, mm -hmm. what what's the person to do well, i mean be honest tell if, the if truth you, if you messed up you know you're, you're way better to tell the truth um you, you know as a county wildlife officer I, i'd rather say hey you know rick rick called me and he, he told me right off the bat what happened and you know think about what the county prosecutor would think about that if a guy calls him and says hey you know this guy just called and turned himself in knowing you know, he could get a ticket for this. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Honesty goes a long way. Um, and any attempt that people are making to try to hide, you know, something, it never looks good because you got to think about, you know, when we, when we encounter you on the fear in the field, most of the time we don't know who you are. Um, so whether you're the guy who made an honest mistake and, and it just didn't want the meat to go to waste, I, I don't know that. Um, so we, we judge the situations on the whole, the whole totality of the circumstances, what, you know, right. was the guy trying to hide this? Was he, you know, had he already killed two birds this year? What, you know, the list goes on and on and there is no textbook answer. Each scenario, uh, in itself, you know, the same scenario in a different situation could have a different outcome, but people okay. need to realize that, you know, honesty is, is way better. Um, I, 
you know, I, I reward, uh, you know, I reward honesty. Now that doesn't mean that you call me up Saturday morning and tell me you spotlighted the deer Friday night and shot him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we, 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 we call that the poor choice express. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So let, let's move on to another scenario um, that, that I hear a lot. People want to know the uh, specific jurisdiction of a wildlife officer. Um, can you just go wherever you want, whenever you want, and basically do whatever? I understand that officers have the, uh, I guess, the probable cause, and I don't know really what constitutes that. Um, but can you go into that a little bit for me as far as, can you just, you know, somebody calls you, can you just walk right in my house and start looking through stuff? Or do you have to have a warrant or my permission? Or how does that work? Well, I mean, you the first thing is you got to understand is all of us, um, all of us have rights mm -hmm. and you know, our constitutional rights come first and foremost above Amen. any of them. They're there to protect, you know, you, uh, they protect you and, and that's what they're designed for. So, you know, nobody has the right to, to, you know, violate your constitution rights. So right. okay. as far as, you know, us being able to wave a magic wand as a wildlife officer, and be able to infringe on your rights, that doesn't happen. Okay. That's, that's, not what, that's, not, that's not what we do. Now, yeah. however, as a wildlife officer, our jurisdiction, you know, we do have the right to enter privately owned property. Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's, there's been case law about, you know, wildlife officers entering into privately owned land, you know, to, to ensure, you know, that laws are being obtained to. Mm -hmm. So, Here's an interesting thing, guys. So 97, last I knew, 97% of Ohio was privately owned. Correct. Okay. Wow. Now, there are some states where wildlife officers do not have the right to enter into private property. Mm. Now, as a law-abiding sportsman, how effective could we be doing our job if we didn't have that ability? Yeah. It, it, it makes it immensely difficult. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, what, what would suffer in a situation like that is the resource and you know, I've never encountered anybody that, um, you know, when I've entered up on private property to check license and stuff, the only people that don't want me there are the people that usually have something to hide, I feel like. Um, <laughs> that's how it always, that's like a rule. Yeah. So, so, so like I said, you know, we, we don't have any special ability to, to you know, violate your, your constitutional rights. You know what I mean? Um, so, but we do have you know, some different abilities that, you know, maybe a sheriff's department maybe not have mm -hmm. as far mm -hmm. as, you know, we have the right to enter private, private property as far as, you know, enforcing, you know, fishing game laws. Sure. Um, and we have the right to inspection. Um, you know, if, if somebody was going to, if the sheriff's deputy, you know, walked up to you on the Creek bank and started going through your tackle box and going through your cooler, um, you know, or somebody walked in your house or pulled up your car and started searching your car without, any reason, you know, that could be an issue. You know, as far as a wildlife officer, we do have the right to enter in those, those coolers and those things to inspect them. Mm -hmm. uh, and now, you know, what are we inspecting for? We're, ins we're inspecting those coolers and those tackle boxes for fishing game. Sure. So I think a lot of times people get confused about that. Um, but that's a couple of differences, you know, as a wildlife officer we have, we have that ability to you know, to enter in that private land and, and check those licenses, ensure people are following those game laws. Um, you know, because I had someone described it one time, they said, you know, a deer, turkey, or those animals, they can't pick up the phone and call, call those tip hot lines. So, you know, it, it's, <laughs> it's very, yeah. And, and any sportsman, um, you know, any law abiding sportsman, you know, they trust me, they're going to want us, you know, having that ability to go into those properties and check those licenses, And I mean, and we do it as courteous as, you know, try to be courteous as we can. Um, you know, I, guy sitting in his tree stand in the middle of the rut at, you know, nine 30 in the morning, I'm not going to go traipsing in there and, and, you know, check his, make him come down of his tree stand and check his license unless I have a good reason to. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, there's some officers that do have good reasons to do that, but, um, you know, every scenario is different and it's really hard to, there's, of course, there's so many stories out there about, 
you know, this and that. And like I said, if you, if you ever want the truth to a rumor you hear, just go to the county guy. He'll, he'll explain it to you. Yeah. And I, I, have a, I have a feeling it'll be uh, probably a lot different from the version that you heard at the gun store uh, <laughs> yeah. or, or debate shop. So that, so that brings me to, I mean, that's a perfect segue to the question that I have. Um, social media, you know, obviously is something different that's happened more within the past 10 years as well. How, like, how, how big of a tool has that become for law enforcement for breaking up like poaching rings and guys whose egos get too big for, for their britches? Well, there's, there's one thing in common that I've found when it comes to, you know, the habitual poachers and stuff that we catch and that's, that would be the ego. Yeah. Um, you know, most, most of the guys that we're catching, you know, they, the egos and the bragging is exactly, you know, what causes the issues, but, uh, social media has been, you know, it's been a game changer, um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, it's, you know, there's, there's a reason why police departments now have, you know, cyber crime units and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, some, there is so much sharing of stuff on Facebook and things like that. Um, so, so, you know, it, it's, the, the social media, let's call it splurge or burst or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that, that is, that has caused, you know, us to change how we do business. Um, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see all the, the warrants that were, were wrote on Facebook uh, accounts and Snapchat and things like that. But nowadays they are, I mean, they they become routine. So um, it's definitely something that we, we deal with on a regular basis. And, you know, it, it, it provides, um, you know, occasionally it provides us some good information that we're able to, um, we're able to work into a case. And a lot of times, you know, I, I mean, I'm just saying I'm probably blocked on at least half of the people that I know on Facebook. <laughs> um, they probably, they probably message me occasionally, but uh, hit the block button, you know, but, um, <laughs> but that's, but that that's fine because what people don't realize is, you know, you got a thousand friends on your friend list and out of that thousand, there's at least one of them who, who uh, wants to do the right thing. And, yeah. um, and you know, and that I, I know, you know, previously we've talked about, um, you know, wh- where does, where do we work a lot of our cases? Mm-hmm. And I mean, a lot of our cases, you know, our, our tip line is, is buzzing. Um, people, there's a lot of people out there that want to do the right thing. And, um, so a lot of people pick up the phone and they call us and they give us that information we need. And we have a tip reward program. I mean, you can turn somebody in for, for being a poacher and get paid for it. You know, you're doing the right thing. And, you know, people that are doing things like that and hunting illegally, I mean, all they're doing is taking away from you and me. Um, I mean, to me, it's like somebody walking in your house and stealing a $50 bill out of your dresser. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy out there taking an extra buck or taking an extra turkey. And eventually, you know, somebody gets tired of it. Right. And when they get, they get tired of it, you know, our, our phone usually rings and, you know, our, our officers do a very good job of, of you know, keeping people anonymous. Um, well, and, and you, and you bring up a good, you bring up a good point is, and, and I like, I like the terminology you continue to use. It's they're poachers. Um, they're not sportsmen. Like you, you mentioned, you mentioned like the 10% that gets put in the news, they'll say a hunter. It's like, well, no, it's not a hunter. It, it, it's someone who poached. Um, they're not abiding by ethics. They're not abiding by the laws. They're not abiding by the codes we've all kind of learned as outdoorsmen growing up. And, you know, quite certainly, uh, you know, I don't go out in the middle of the night with a spotlight and, you know, shoot rifles with a 30 or shoot deer with a 30, 30. Um, that's not hunting, that's poaching. And too often, I think that that's the picture that, uh, gets painted for hunters and outdoorsmen because, um, a few bad eggs, uh, you know, spoil the salad. Can you ever think of a good hunter in a Disney movie? No. The McLeach (laughs) poacher. I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, you know, you, you, but you bring up a good point in the fact, Rick, that those people out there, you know, like you said, they're, they're, they're poisoning the water. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, 
you know, we all know that there's people out there that are, you know, poaching and they're poisoning the water for everybody else that's drinking it. Mm-hmm. But every, everybody else, I think, has a responsibility when they find out something like this that's happening and it's illegal. If, if you're a true sportsman and you care about the resource, you should, you should be able to pick up the phone. I mean, I've had, I've had brothers turn in brothers before. I mean, it, it's, it's happened. Um, family, family members, you know, where they say, Hey, you know, I love them and, and they're, they're my family, but you know, this is wrong. And so I think morally, um, ethically, I think hunters have a responsibility to each other for those of us who are in the 90%. Mm-hmm. I think we have a responsibility to when we see something, you say something, mm-hmm. you know, we've heard that phrase and used in other different contexts, but, um, but you know, a lot of people, they don't want to go that, or they, they feel bad. And, and, you know, that's, that's their dilemma to make that decision. But I personally think as a wildlife officer, it means a lot to me. And I appreciate it when somebody picks up the phone and does the right thing. Um, that makes me, and, and everybody has different motivations, you know, <laughs> Some, some, sometimes it's an ex-girlfriend. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's, uh, it's somebody just stole your hunting spot. Um, people get motivated in very different ways, but, um, you know, I always appreciate the people who call and, and actually, uh, say, Hey, you know, we're doing this. We don't, we don't, we're not interested in the reward. We're doing this because, you know, they're making us look bad. And I, I think that, you know, anybody listening to this probably hardly anyone listened to it in, in their hunting career. Um, can look back and see something that's happened and, and said, mm-hmm. man, you know, I didn't pick up the phone and they should have, but it's something to think about. Um, it, it's, it's our, you know, it's our heritage to protect mm-hmm. and it's it very easily 10% can make us look bad. Sure. And um, so I think the 90% of us need to stand together and, and they need to pick up the phone and make those calls and, and just know that they can do, they can do so, you know, uh, anonymous and um, they can be kept that way. Agreed. Okay. Agreed 100%. So let's move on to uh, written permission. Um, written permission is required in the state of Ohio to hunt. Uh, I have a couple questions pertaining to that because I don't hear a lot about written permission to fish. I don't really read about that in our manual. So I wanted you to maybe touch on that and how that might be the same or different than written permission to hunt. And then also, um, my question is when it comes to written permission, do you have to have that slip that you guys have on the website? Can I have the landowner sign my license? Um, and what happens, let's say if a landowner verbally tells me, well, I guess I kind of know the answer to that sort, but uh, if he verbally tells me, you know, basically if, if you come up, well, so we'll start with this. If you come up and you check me and you, you're checking me on private land and I don't have my slip signed, but I do have permission to be there. Uh, how do you go about, like, am I still technically breaking the law or is that something where I text the landowner and say, Hey, see, I actually do. Or how does that work? Okay. So, you know, Written permission, we'll start with this. When somebody gives you written permission, you know, it, it, that written permission, if you've ever seen one of our slips at the bottom, it basically talks about the you know, section of law where it exempts you, the landowner, from liability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's, it's, it's a common, people always, you know, I hear this all the time. Well, you know, I, I'm not giving written permission because they feel that makes them responsible. Um, and that's not true. If, in Ohio, if, you, if I'm going to come to your farm, Chris, and hunt, and you give me written permission, by giving me written permission, you, you've just, you know, you've just exempted yourself from that liability. Now, you know, I'm sure attorneys could try to sue for anything, but, sure. you know, there, there is a law in place that says, you know, that, that you know, it, that exemption applies. Um, so written permission is one of those things that we, you know, we deal with, you know, quite a bit. Um, sure. And, and, you know, it's, it's real funny that you bring that up. I, I had made a couple notes on written permission and I hate to be the, uh, the one that like, you know, do this, read it verbatim, but I'm going to tell you exactly how it reads on the permission slip. It basically says, um, and accepting this permit, I agree to assume and release the landowner from any and all liability for personal injuries, 
property damage or for the loss of life or property or property <clears throat> resulting from or in any way connected with the issuance of this permit. So when you're getting that written permission, that should almost be a little bit of a security blanket for the landowner to, mm-hmm. to issue that. So, you know, you hear all, you know, it's, it makes me liable. It, it actually is the opposite. You know, it, it makes, it's a recreational user act. It, it allows you to recreate on that property and, and not be held liable as a landowner. So basically so, that's a really good tool for a hunter, a sportsman to take to the landowner and say, Hey, you're actually not liable. If I get hurt, you're fine. That's on me. Yeah. And, and you know, there, you know, there's, it's obviously a section of law on that. Um, so basically how do we handle a situation where you're hunting John Smith's farm and John Smith gives you verbal permission, but won't give you written permission. Mm-hmm. Very common. Um, you know, I can tell you what the law says. The law, you know, obviously says that you need, you know, written permission. But, you know, we also have directives that we work upon, you know, inside of our agency. And our law directives basically are, they give us direction on how to handle and do certain things. And um, as far as written permission and verbal permission, if we're checking somebody and they're First of all, you know, if we're just checking license, we're checking license. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're following up on hunting without permission complaints when we get the complaint from the landowner. Okay. And so oftentimes, you know, if I walk up and, you know, say, hey, man, you know, um, do you know whose land you're on? And you're like, yeah, I'm on John Smith's. And I'm like, you have your written permission slip on you and be like, you know, he won't give me written permission. But, um, you know, I can always call John and say, hey, you know, does Chris have permission? And he can be like, yeah you're, you're going to be good to go in that scenario. Okay. Um, okay. If, if you can obtain verbal permission, but you, you need to be able to prove that. Um, okay. and like I said, again, you know, my disclaimer, this is, this is how, you know, this is how my discretion and how I handle the job, but you know, I, I know how the direction that we've been given and, and what guys do. So that verbal permission, um, can be okay as long as we can prove it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep in mind, if it's any of the co-op land, if you ever, you know, the yellow hunting signs that say co-op hunting with permission only, it's the program that, you know, we do with landowners. So, um, you know, let's say they got 200 acres and they'll sign it up and we'll provide them signs. And then they're supposed to let members of the public come and hunt, you know, at their discretion. was not aware of these. Yeah. We have, we have that in Kentucky. Um, they do those with, uh, I mean, there's, there's the pairing with farmers that you can sign up through uh, through Frankfurt with that, but we have in Kentucky at least we get those with dove fields quite a bit, um, where farmers will you know say like this field is open from like this time of year to this time of year, um, and they're supposed to allow for that information to be published in the uh, in the regs and on uh, on uh, wildlife's website now do you, I, I don't, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of, again, I'm a dirty out of state hunter. Um, <laughs> I am now, I am now. Um, but is that something that's, that's published on the website too? Uh, yeah. So you, you can obtain the information about, you know, people that allow a lot of times people will call in the district offices and they'll try to see who's in the co-op program. Um, you know, as far as that goes, but, but getting back to the hunting with permission, I, I brought that up because, on those properties, you absolutely, a lot of those, you know, landowners have had trouble with in the past is hunting without permission. So they sign it up in the co-op. And when we're patrolling those properties, if you're on that property, you must have a written permission slip. Okay. So that, you know, other, you know, other places, you know, if, if you're hunting and you've got verbal permission and you can prove that, but I am going to tell you, I, I had a scenario once in my career where a guy had verbal permission and then him and the individual had a falling out and the individual was there hunting and he Mm -hmm. called and said, there's a truck parked down here and the guy does, nobody has permission to hunt this farm. Oh boy. So you can see how that happens. Uh, Uh, Now, is it rare? Yeah. But you know, I seen it happen once. Um, Obviously, you know, he, you know, digs through that and get down to the truth and figure out, you know, 
mm-hmm. how this happened. And yes, there was a verbal permission and, and, um, and they had a disagreement and, you know, he had never told him that he wasn't welcome there anymore, but as soon as he seen him, you know, took the opportunity to, you know, call in. So I always tell everybody, um, you know, that written permission is a security for the hunter and it's a security for the landowner. It really uh, is because I can remember being on property um, in a place I bow hunt and a story, a, I mean, there was three people who were allowed to hunt the property and there was a fourth guy who just kept showing up and he was standing on the porch when the landowner gave gave the permission and he came back individually one time and the lander is like, what the hell are you doing here? And he goes, well, you gave permission. He goes, no, I gave your buddy permission because I wrote him a permission slip. And, you know, that guy had been essentially going there every day during the rut and trying to bust a deer. And, you know, he essentially said like, look, don't come back here, you know, go somewhere else and, you know, hunt there. But that, that written permission alleviates those issues, you know, so it's not even a problem. You know, the, the thing that I always abide by is if you're behaving ethically, you're not behaving illegally. Um, You know, the reality of that is, is that that's an important thing to follow and to have. So you, I mean, like you said, a, a lawyer can dig in on that kind of stuff and, you know, you take you to work with it. Yeah. I mean, the, like I said, the permission, I think, you know, written permission is the way to go. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, nowadays um, most people are, are text messaging and, and there's, there's a, there's a, there's a situation, you know, where, you know, there's, you know, there's a form of written permission, I would say, yep. you know, um, I do, I do like our forms and stuff. You know, there is a copy of those on page 23 in the hunting regs. Um, nice you know, or you can, you can print off more of those, but you know, you're always better to have written permission. We do understand we're realistic and we do understand that people, you know, only give verbal permission. Um, and as long as that, you know, that landowner is going to be the one to call in the hunting without permission complaint. You know, it's, it's always good to have good communication with your landowner and say, you know, Hey, this is, this is what I'm driving. If you ever bring a different vehicle. Yep. And, you know, I think just hunting, um, just etiquette, you know, we've all been in the situation where you have permission to hunt a farm and, and, and to bring a, bring a friend. I mean, I always try to get permission for myself and another person. Yep. Um, yeah. and, and with the understanding that, you know, they're not there without me. Right. Sure. Um, and exactly. I think good, you know, good. We've all heard about the guys, you know, like you said, uh, thought he had permission because he went there with a buddy and then shows back up. But, you know, nothing <laughs> talking to landowners, there's nothing that bothers him more when, you know, they give two people permission and 20 show up or, you know, they start walking their property and they find a bunch of trash. Yep. Uh, you yep. know, like I said, we're, you know, you, you see a lot more increased leasing and things like that in the state. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're so, so have such a large land mass that's privately owned. You know, we, we as sportsmen really got to take care of those landowners. We do. Um, I, I, I cut, I cut and split firewood, um, enough for a winter, um, on a property that I hunt, you know, I'm, I'm gracious enough to, to turkey hunt this farm. And so, you know, every fall I, I split enough wood. So, you know, they have, they have enough to last the fireplace for the winter. Um, you know, little things like that can go a long way. You know, I, I didn't have to pay, you know, $20 an acre to hunt there, but I still, you know, made sure to, to give back something, you know? Sure. Absolutely. Take care of your landowners. That's, you know, absolutely. It, it's, it's a privilege and it, it, it needs to be treated that way as well. And, yeah, and it when is. You, absolutely. when you start seeing, you know, being a guy who's ran this outdoors page for three years now, I can tell you that land is getting leased up every day. It is, it's getting leased and leased and, we're losing access all the time. Um, and I think a lot of that, I mean, obviously you can't blame a guy who wants to pay his taxes, his property taxes, just by letting somebody hunt for a few months. But um, when you are out hunting on somebody's property, 
my advice to those listening is not just to not litter and not leave gates open. Those are the two things that you're going to hear. Don't, mm-hmm. don't shoot their, their cattle. Don't shoot their, their house or their barn. That's never cool or funny. Um, don't leave don't gates open. Don't uh, step on fences and down them and, and yep. don't leave your trash. And the other thing that I have to say though, is um, it looks just as bad if you walk by trash that blew from the road or whatever because they don't know that you didn't drop that out of your pack and stuff. So pick the trash up. What, what if it's a hunter that you don't like or whatever, rather than making that guy look bad, I, I ran into this this year. Um, <laughs> guys hunting on the property that I hunt on and they're kind of messing with me a little bit. And I see these shells and all this stuff laying everywhere. And I'm like, guys, I'm going to kill you if I get kicked out of this place for, <laughs> you know, this happening. So Rather than be an idiot, I just cleaned it up and went on about my day. But, you know, not that it doesn't irk me, as you can tell, but um, not that you have any feelings about that. Yeah, no feelings at all. No harsh <laughs> feelings. But, um, you know, pick up trash. Do do everything that you can. Like Chris said, um, you know, he's talking about splitting firewood. One things that one of the things that I offer uh, our landowners is um, I happen to have a very good and unique jerky recipe and I give them jerky if they want jerky they get jerky if <laughs> and, and I always offer my game but no generally farmers are stacked with beef and yeah. pork and all that anyway so they don't they don't care about your deer um but jerky jerky in a six pack will win a lot <laughs> of people over so uh and that you know there that's a labor of love cuz you go mm-hmm. from from target practice <clears throat> all the way through getting the animal and butchering. And uh, if, if you're like us that, yep. that do that. And uh, if you got to pay a, a um, processor, you know, so be it, but uh, hook that guy up with some jerky, get him a six pack, uh, buy him and his wife uh, See, a night out. There you go. And that, that, that's what I do is, yeah. is I, I've got um, a landowner that I, that's I'm lucky enough to hunt over here. And every year I offer him deer meat. He, he never, Never takes it, but a bottle of bourbon for him and a nice bottle of wine for his wife. And it's, you know, something that they can use to entertain with or they can, you know, have a great night, you know, by themselves because you, you want to make sure that you, that you take care of them and, you know, do those things. And, you know, while, while a gift is great, you're, I mean, I, I went to high school with guys who I knew cut fields of tobacco on saturdays and sundays <laughs> so they so they could dove hunt and um and they would have places to go and you know any little type of thing like that is is a big thing but i agree so and, and Rick, I, I think that when you a lot of times too when you make a personal connection with a landowner and you know you end up forming a relationship that becomes just you know a little bit more than that guy that lets you mm-hmm. hunt I honestly think that, you know, when it comes time for a landowner to make that decision, whether he's going to lease that property to somebody else, you know, I think a lot of time you build that friendship and, you know, you might get the first right of refusal or, you know, you could be the difference between whether they, um, they, they decide to lease it or not. And, um, you know, I, any of you guys that, you know, have the, have those private landowners, you know, you need to foster those relationships and, um, you know, I, you, you need to build on them and make sure that you, um, you keep them and take care of your landowners because like I said, it's, uh, it's something more and more, you know, we're, what are we like the, the fifth most populated state in the country. Mm-hmm. And you heard me say that 97% of the state is privately owned land. That leaves very, very little. Um, you know, I know the division, um, with the recent purchase of some of the AEP properties, you yes. know, we're, we're trying, we're trying to buy, you know, what we can when we can, but you know, we, we obviously are working on a, you know, a budget as well. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, with 97, the state being private, definitely, definitely take care of your landowners. And, um, you know, and like you said, it, it maybe a couple packs of jerky, you know, maybe you don't have to dip in your wallet and, you know, s- you know, spend a hundred bucks on a gift card or whatever, whatever you can do, you know, and, um, and it might just be manpower going out and weed eating, you know, time. Mm-hmm. But I really think that that's important, you know, that, you know, sportsmen do that. And I think it'll ensure, you know, being able to have some of them, them private properties to hunt that we all love. 
And that will do it for part one of a two-part series with wildlife officer Chris Gilkey. Hope you can come back and listen to the second one. We'll be releasing it in another week. And we've got a ton more information that I know you guys are going to love to want to listen to. As always, we're available on all major podcasting platforms. If you would, subscribe, like, give us five stars. Anything helps to help us spread the message of wildlife and wanting to be out there just as much as all you guys do. As always, also, we're available to be contacted at theeliteoutdoors1 at gmail.com. Hope you guys enjoy it and hope you come back next week. Thank you.